Okay, sorry about that, folks. The uh, the broadcaster just quit. <laughs> the broadcaster just quit on me. So, uh, yes, uh, I don't know where Pastor David is. Uh, I've been trying to call him, and he's not around. So I don't. Uh, I, I usually have a, a pre-show conference with David, but uh, nothing today. Nothing at all. I have not been able to communicate with him. So I'm going to do a show about Gnosticism instead. And so uh, I'm not sure where my uh, broadcaster died, but uh, did did any, and now we got an echo. <laughs> oh no. So maybe we got two of them running at the same time. This is crazy. All right. So uh, don't know what to say about the echo. Is everybody else getting an echo? Oh, okay, yeah, you had two players open. Yeah, that happens to me every once in a while, too. <laughs> All right, okay, so uh, did, did anybody hear anything I had to say about Gnosticism? Or should I just start over? Okay, I, I don't know when the uh, broadcaster died. Okay, All right, very good. Uh, so the sound seems to be fine. And so, well, let me just start over then. Uh, this is an article. I, I'm pretty sure I pasted the link into the chat room. And I'll keep the player open in the upper left-hand corner. Okay. Okay, nothing. Restart. Thank you, Brother Hebert. So start over. Okay. So uh, we're talking about Gnosticism and what Gnosticism really is. But let me get the um, uh, broadcaster... Let me drag it so that way I can see if it dies or not. So it, that shouldn't happen. That should never happen, but occasionally it does. And, of course, it doesn't want to move out of the way. It's covering the chat room. All right, so I'll just have to deal with it. I'll check back into it every so often, or people just let me know if it happens to die again. All right, so here we go. And let me. Uh, maybe I never even got around to posting it because we had this interruption. And this is an article on Gnosticism, which is, uh, let me try to define, oh, very good, Brother Abraham put it back in. So, uh, which in my estimation is, it can't be called a movement, but it was a trend in early Christianity among primarily the Israelites of the dispersion to incorporate the uh, pagan ideas, some of which were not necessarily wrong, but just not relevant to Christianity, to bring those ideas in, such as the archons, the archons being the uh, Greek idea that the Greek people descended from these angelic beings called archons, and uh, those are the genealogies that Paul disputes in a couple of his letters, okay? Uh, Paul is not talking about the genealogy of the Israel people in those letters. He's talking about these fake genealogies that we are descended from gods, okay? <laughs> All right? That's what Paul is disputing in those epistles. So this is entitled simply Gnosticism by Dan Graves, MSL, don't know what that stands for. And here's how he begins the article, which in the form of several questions, sort of explains what Gnosticism is. Did Jesus really have an identical twin? 
Was he married to Mary Magdalene? Were Gospels destroyed that should have been in the Bible? Did Jesus talk to the cross on which he died, and did the cross walk out of the tomb speaking? Maybe it did a dance, too. Was Judas a hero who alone of the disciples understood Jesus, and in betraying him was carrying out Christ's secret instructions? That sounds like a Jewish Gnostic idea, right? So these Gnostic ideas run the full gamut uh, of any kind of miraculous, weird, um, mystical, pagan, any idea that somebody who was just hearing about Christianity as it was just coming out of the, the you know, out of Jerusalem, actually, and saying, well, here, no, this, uh, this should be part of Christianity, too. No, that should be part of Christianity. The Gospel of Thomas, uh, you know, talks about, oh, what did he talk, oh, I think it talks about reincarnation, and, uh, and diet, okay, so, I mean, uh, not everything in the Gnostic tradition is necessarily wrong, but the question is, is it relevant to what we call Christianity today? Was it relevant to Christianity then? And even Christianity itself was just emerging. Uh, the show that Michael and I did this morning about the church at Ephesus, the period from 30 uh, I would say, actually, I look, corrected from 33 A.D. to 64 A.D. 64 is the year when the persecution of Christians began under Nero. So that defined a new era, and that's Smyrna, meaning bitterness. But we only talked about Ephesus, and Ephesus was the church, or the city, I should say, the city and or congregation which the Apostle John was bishop of. And so that was a very strong congregation, and because it had John as its leader. Whether or not that congregation was set up by Paul, I don't know. I don't think so. Most of these congregations in the book of Revelation were simply outposts of Israelites, both uh, from the house of Judah and the house of Israel, that congregated together, and these people were Israelites. Many of them ha ha were paganized Israelites from the dispersion that had settled in these cities. But uh, maybe some of them were just moving into the territory when they heard that the Messiah had come, because even the paganized Israelites would have remembered the Messianic tradition that a Messiah would come uh, by the name of Yeshua or Jesus would come, etc., and so, as they were hearing about this thing, well, they came back to the Middle East and uh, brought their own beliefs with them and tried to incorporate their pagan beliefs and or mystical traditions into emerging Christianity. So, you can see, this was a time of intellectual chaos. And this is why Paul preaches, uh, don't believe any kind of strange doctrines that have not been taught by us out of Jerusalem. Okay? Because the gospel was preached to Judah, not the Jews, preached to, to Judah first, and then to the rest of the tribes. Okay? That's how we are to understand this situation. 
So everything else that tried to latch on to the ox cart, let's call uh, Christianity an ox cart, and all of these pretenders tried to jump on the ox cart and claim, oh, no, this is this should be part of Christianity. That should be part of Christianity, etc. No, if it wasn't prophesied in the Old Testament to have taken place, and the principal doctrine is, it's, it's totally contained in Revelation 12, 17. Those who believe the commandments of God, who practice the commandments of God, and have the faith of Yahshua Messiah. It's pretty much that simple. It's got to have those two things. And if Yahshua didn't preach it, we shouldn't either. Period. If he didn't preach it. But of course, the entire book of Revelation was dictated to John by Yahshua. So we can consider the entire book of Revelation as his preaching. The four Gospels are his preaching. And so the... uh, the letters of James and Peter, Jude, are commentaries on that preaching, on the Old Testament, and how the Israelites have been saved, that is, redeemed at Calvary. Therefore, bridging the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, showing that the New Testament is all about Israel and no other people. So is the book of Revelation. So that anybody who tries to bring multicultural doctrine into the faith is a liar, is a false prophet, is a Gnostic. The author continues, Writings from the 2nd through the 4th centuries either make these claims outright or suggest them to modern... (coughs) Excuse me, I need some water... It's not sangria, Lily. <laughs> Produced by individuals whom we now identify as Gnostic. These texts have been put forward in recent years as reasonable alternative forms of Christianity. Well, not just recent years. They were trying to do this in the early days of Ephesus and Smyrna. Absolutely no doubt. In fact, I would say the, the trend of Gnosticism has gone on throughout history because there have always been people, individuals, who have uh, tried to add this doctrine or that doctrine, this belief, that belief, such as reincarnation, to the Gospels. But if it doesn't mention it in, in the Gospels, then uh, there's no reason for us to add anything. In fact, uh, the the Book of Revelation says, uh, do not add or subtract from, from these teachings. So we have our guide in the book of Revelation. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brother Abair says, the blind people he healed would have thought there were twins, right? <laughs> they were getting healed from both sides. So who knows where these ideas come from? But these are examples of uh, Gnosticism in the early days, and there are plenty of examples of modern Gnosticism today. Okay, and I would say uh, what uh, Michael and I talked about: the, the some people who call themselves Christians take metaphorical statements literally, and they take literal statements metaphorically. That would be a form of you know. So you have to know the history. 
you absolutely have to know the history that revolves around the writings of these Israelite books, and especially the history regarding the prophecies. Otherwise, you cannot understand it. So you have to judge everything by the, the commandments and the faith in Jesus Christ. And if it's far-fetched stuff, like a lot of this Gnosticism is, then there's no reason for us to include it. Now, there may be true statements in the Gnostic tradition. But are they relevant? That's the question. Are they really relevant? Okay, not all of the Gnostics were evil-minded and attempting to lead early Christians astray. No, they just had a belief. They had latched onto this belief very strongly and wanted to share it with others and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, so the author says, so it's not just in those days. We still have Gnostics around today trying to change the teachings of the scriptures. Okay, so these texts have, but also some of the, many of these texts, see, the author is absolutely correct. Many of these texts have been put forward in recent years as reasonable alternative forms of Christianity, as branches which were unjustly suppressed, as teachings which should be allowed to modify the dogma that came down to us, or as books that should have been incorporated into the Bible. Okay, that that is an idea which you know comes down from the modern Gnostics who want to incorporate these outside traditions, outside traditions. And so I'm not being, well, I guess you could say I'm being dogmatic here. Well, what I'm saying is that the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, have a certain context. And that context is the law, the covenants, the prophecies, and the relationships between the Israelites or the Adamites and the other peoples, other ethnicities, other races. And that relationship between the Israel-Adamite people never changes. However, a lot of these Israelites and Adamites picked up beliefs that uh, they really like, and once they heard the Gospels, they said, well, no, I, I, this, this belief, uh, you know, I, want, I believe that I was descended from the, the goddess so-and-so of the Greek pantheon, <laughs> right? Uh, sorry, that's not relevant. So uh, I would say that most of Gnosticism is not necessarily evil or uh, outright uh, d deceptive. It's just not relevant. So what re what's relevant is the covenant message. That's the only thing that's relevant. So that's what we need to stick to. And uh, not that there isn't any uh, reality outside of that, but if we try to include all this irrelevant stuff, we'll just get all confused. And that's what Gnosticism does. It creates all kinds of confusion and controversy, all very unnecessary. So the author states, Naturally, this is of concern to those Orthodox Christians who understand that the texts, what the text actually contain. There is a danger that those who do not may be confused or misled by the popular claims. In this article, Christian History Institute seeks to show who the Gnostics were, how we know about them, 
what were their main writings, what they taught, and what, if anything, we can learn from them. What was Gnosticism? Gnostics did not call themselves by that name, and there were many variations of what we now call Gnosticism. By the way, the Judahites never called themselves Jews. While some forms were completely unrelated to Christianity, others considered themselves a higher type of Christian. Yeah, we are more spiritual than thou. But although Gnostic beliefs varied a good deal, we can sum up a few essential points on which we all agree. Now, for uh, Michael and I did a show about Marcion a couple of weeks ago, and Marcion was one of those who rejected the Old Testament and uh, wanted to pick and choose which verses of the New Testament he liked and which he could discard. So he would be an example of a picky Gnostic. <laughs> a picky Gnostic. And, uh, but he may, would not have probably called himself a Gnostic. He just had his own point of view, promoting his own worldview and his own theology. And, uh, but that's, this really does make him a Gnostic. puts him in that category. So here are some of the essential points that people agreed that uh, are part of Gnosticism. One, the material world is bad. The spirit world is good. The material world is under the control of evil, ignorance, or nothingness. Okay, where we in Christian identity would disagree with the first statement, the material world is not necessarily bad or evil. It's we operators those of us who have free will, the ability to do good or evil in the world, who can make it evil if we choose to do so. Genesis chapter 1 says that the creation was good. It even says it was very good. So what went wrong? Well, the Bible tells us what went wrong. Nahash, one of those fallen angels, came and deceived Eve and led to the fall of Adam and Eve. They lost their potential immortality and became mortal. Which leads us to the next part of the statement here. The material world is under the control of evil, ignorance, or nothingness. Well, it's under the control of evil. The evil fallen ones. So this is where a biblical... Uh, you know, so it's where does this evil come from? Where does this... Well, we talked, uh, Michael and I talked about the demiurge. The Gnostic belief is that the evil force is just as powerful and just as eternal as the good force, and that they will reign together forever and ever, and the eternal struggle between good and evil will never end. That's the, uh, part of the Gnostic tradition. Okay? But this this idea here, the material world is under the control of evil, ignorance, or nothingness is not entirely wrong. Because Satan is the prince of this world. He has been given the power to deceive. That's, that's told us in the book of Job as well. Satan has been given the power to deceive. But that does not make this world evil. That only makes Satan evil. The fact that he is able to trick people 
into believing his lies and doing his will, whether they realize it or not, that's ignorance, is real. It's absolutely real. So there is not necessarily a great divide between the, you know, the, what I would call the accurate biblical view and some of these Gnostic beliefs. They just are slightly off and are not based on Bible history. Point number two. A divine spark is somehow trapped in some but not all humans. And Well, that's very interesting because we at Identity teach that only Adamites have that divine spark. So, uh, this is not, again, again, this is not totally untrue, but I think they believe in some sort of, where does it come from? Well, if it comes from a god that's only as powerful as the Demiurge, or Satan, then, well, okay, then it's hit and miss, right? If Satan is just as powerful as Yahweh, then it's it's anybody's guess as to whether or not you have that divine spark. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that divine spark was given to Adam by Yahweh. And only the direct descendants of Adam and Eve have that divine spark. It was not given to the other races. Okay, and the, so the idea continues. The divine spark, spark exists in this material world, is capable... Sorry. Uh... Oh, the divine, somehow is somehow trapped in some, but not all humans, and it alone, of all that exists in this material world, is capable of redemption. Well, again, this is a partially true statement, because that divine spark was given to Adam, and Paul, the first Adam, and Paul says that Yahshua was the second Adam, right? And what did he do? He redeemed the Adamic race at Calvary. So these ideas are not entirely false. They're just kind of more vague than what we understand from Scripture. Point number three. Salvation is through a secret knowledge. Now this is where the word Gnostic comes from. Secret knowledge. They have some sort of knowledge which is not contained in the Bible... Or it's contained in some weird interpretation of Scripture. For example, this is a really good example. That the seven, uh, well, the, the word is churches. That's what most of the, the seven ecclesia of the book of Revelation are figurative. Or they're, uh, they're, they can be taken literally and figuratively as well. So what is the figurative meaning of the seven ecclesia of Revelation? They are the chakras, according to those Gnostics who learn Hinduism. <laughs> right? so, so the seven churches are actually the seven chakras. That's a, actually church, chakra, church. If you pronounce it really quickly, it sounds similar. But that is one of the Gnostic beliefs that those seven churches in chapters 1, 2, and 3 are references to the chakras and how human beings 
develop from the base chakra to the crown chakra and the steps taken in between. Okay? That is an example of a figurative, mystical, Gnostic interpretation of the book of Revelation. We could go on for years talking about how Gnostics project their beliefs onto the scriptures. Okay, but as I said earlier, if it's not rooted in the history, because unlike other religions, and this goes for Judaism, it goes for all other religions, Christianity is the only truly historical religion. It's the only truly historical religion. All the other religions are based on fabrications, such as Islam, such as Hinduism, such as oh, Mithraism, <laughs> right? Mithraism is a form of Gnosticism as well. Yeah, <laughs> Brother Aver says, Gnosticism sounds like a symptom of COVID. Ah, chew, <laughs> right? It sure is. And uh, uh, didn't the Bible predict COVID-19? Well, actually, it does. <laughs> it does. But that's another topic. I think we've covered that in, in previous, uh, you know, uh, uh, Revelation 18.23, I believe it is, where Mystery Babylon uses pharmacia, the sorceries of pharmacia, to attack us. Wow. Is that happening or is it not? Definitely. Lots of deceiving going on, Seven. And, you know, a, a lot of this is just plain old ego. That I have this belief, and because I believe it, it's got to be true. And therefore, anybody who doesn't believe it should be damned. Okay? I mean, that's a very common attitude, even of modern Judeo-Christians. But, of course, Peter tells us very clearly, the Bible is not of personal interpretations. The Bible has its symbolism. We go with that symbolism. And beyond that, you know, we're very, very careful about trying to project our own interpretation onto the scriptures. The, the scriptures basically, through its own internal symbolism, interprets itself. And that's what we try to stick to. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have, actually, you could do some very interesting comparisons between early Christianity and Mithraism. And uh, Mithraism supposedly had a great healer, uh, Eusclepius or whatever his name was, uh, part of the Greek pantheon. And so that uh, aspects of biblical Christianity are contained in Mithraism. But my research into that subject, whole subject shows that Mithraism actually picked those ideas up from the Bible and from Christianity not vice versa. Okay? So that Mithraism is a legendary version of scripture that was popular probably among the dispersed Israelites, and they tried to incorporate that stuff into emerging Christianity. Okay? So then he says, uh, point number three, salvation is through secret knowledge. Yeah, that's the secret knowledge. And so if you don't know that... <laughs> That the seven churches are actually so seven chakras. 
If you don't have that secret knowledge, then you can't be saved, all right? Salvation is through a secret knowledge by which individuals come to know themselves, their origin, and destiny. Obviously, that whole idea is borrowed from Hinduism and, to some extent, Buddhism, which picked that stuff up. But but actually, I should be more careful because Hinduism is not that old either. What we call Hinduism today is simply a conglomeration of all of the beliefs of India and closer territories incorporated into a single word, namely Hinduism. And not all of these ideas, not all these religious beliefs were part of a single religion before Hinduism. Okay, So Zarathustra, uh, who was another teacher, who was probably an Israelite, uh, Buddha was more than likely an Israelite as well. And uh, so the list goes on and on that offshoots of biblical religion uh, were you know, around and about in the world outside of Israel at the time. So other people latched on to biblical ideas and created religious movements, as is still happening today. <laughs> we can say, oh, how about the Seventh-day Adventists? How about the Mormons? Uh, uh, there's all kinds of offshoot religions which only accept parts of the scriptures and not the whole word of Yahweh. There's stuff they don't like and so they throw it out and their preachers never teach it. Okay, so how do you come to know yourself through this secret knowledge? Well, they have all their own rituals that they you know, they use, uh, you know, uh, going inside a cave <laughs> and meditating, right? But uh, the Israelites are just told to occupy, just be normal people, use your talents, be creative, uh, keep the faith, etc. I mean, even in early Christianity, the mas- m- sorry. Monastic, not monistic, monastic tradition is to me an aberration. It's not as though Christianity or the Bible forbids it, forbids monasticism, but it doesn't teach it either. So, uh, Jesus never said, go into a cave and meditate. He has another purpose for us. That might be okay for Hindus and Buddhists to do. And for all other religions, it might be okay. And it's not even evil for us to do. But, you know, we, we meditate on our life's purpose. But our life's purpose is given to us by the scriptures. By the scriptures. So our theological answers are all there. I, I can't think of anything that I or any Christian identist preacher has added to the theology. What we do in Christian identity is we compare history to the scriptures and we do word studies to find out, well, what do these words really mean? That's totally different 
from coming up with weird ideas from the outside and incorporating them into Christianity. So that is what Gnosticism is. And we're not going to get our origin and destiny from outside the scriptures. It just ain't going to happen. Because there is no other document besides the Bible that tells of the origins. As I said, Christianity is the only historical religion in the world. All other religions are simply made up. Period. They are made up. Buddhism is a perfect example. All you ever see is this uh, fat little Buddha meditating in the lotus position. Right? But even, even Oriental Buddhists will tell you that the original Buddha was a white man. They will admit that he was a white man. Not a fat little Oriental. But nobody ever stops these other religions from mythologizing and recreating themselves, as, of course, Judaism does. Okay? But here is a very, very important concept. Point number four. Since a good God could not have created an evil world, it must have been created by an inferior. So since they already impute to the material world that it is intrinsically evil, that your flesh is evil. No, it's not. You can use your body to do good things and evil things. The flesh is neutral. The flesh is under our control. If it's not under control, we are in serious trouble. And so is Gnosticism for the same reason. Okay? Yeah, monasticism. <laughs> not, not, not monism. Monism is the idea that, well, actually, monism is the idea. There's only one thing. Everything comes from a single source. But that's not exactly false either. Yeah, it comes from Yahweh. Yahweh is the source. So all of these outside ideas have a grain of truth in them. But are they relevant to us Israelites and the purposes that Yahweh tells us we are to accomplish in this world? So that's a huge world of difference between biblical Christianity and Gnosticism. They assume the world itself is evil, that our flesh is evil, that, uh, you know, and, and actually a lot of the monastic tradition sort of believes that, you know, because they would wear hair shirts to try to punish themselves before they sin. I don't know, is, that, is that the purpose of a hair shirt? I don't know. You know, they, they put on these scratchy shirts that were you know, constantly irritated, I guess because Yahshua wore the crown of thorns, and that if they subject themselves to all this torture, that this will somehow make them better Christians. No, it just makes them hurting Christians. <laughs> How are you accomplishing the purposes of Yahweh and the purposes of the gospel by doing stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a mystery to me that anyone would even think that that somehow accomplishes the purposes of Yahshua Messiah. No, he said, occupy till I come. Be a good Christian. Be a good Israelite. Keep the covenants. 
obey the law, and follow his teachings. All right? He doesn't teach us to go into a cave and meditate. Not that you can't do that. Maybe you'll get some insights. Beethoven did his greatest work when he went out into the woods and leaned up against a tree, got his notepad out, and started writing music. It was out in the woods of Germany that he got his greatest inspiration. Probably those elves. <laughs> Probably those elves and cherubs and uh, trying to think of other names for spirits. Anyway, they, they danced around in his head and gave him these musical ideas. Or maybe he was directly inspired by Yahweh. Okay. So it's not the case that, you know, if, let's put it this way. If the Bible doesn't forbid it, and you don't do anybody evil by doing whatever it is the Bible doesn't forbid, if that makes sense, then no problem. It's not evil. So that would be a total opposite to the Gnostic idea that the world, the material world, and our physical flesh are intrinsically evil. No, they are not. The Bible does not say any such thing. Okay? does not say any such thing. So, but anyway, since they have these weird ideas dancing around their, in their heads that the evil in the world must have been produced by the Demiurge, and a, de- a de- Demiurge appears to be equally powerful as the good force they call God, or whatever the name ha- they have for it, so they're preaching duality. This is bona fide duality, folks. Eternal, irresolvable duality. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that this conflict between good and evil will have a resolution. And the good will defeat the evil. That's scriptural. Okay? Continuing. Usually, the explanation given is that the true good God created or emanated beings, that is, archons, who either emanated other archons or conjugated to produce them until a mishap by Sophia, wisdom, led to the creation of the evil archon who created our world and pretends to be God. Okay, well, actually, this is sort of a variation of the Lucifer idea, the rebellion of Lucifer, except that it interjects a conjugation. (laughs) Is, Is this a literal conjugation or a sexual conjugation or a verbal conjugation? Wisdom. Maybe it's just an idea that some people took too literally. Well, obviously Lucifer took the idea of rebelling against the Creator very literally. And says, no, I don't want to serve anybody else. I just want to serve myself. And besides that, I want to have a bunch of other people serve me. Now how do I get other people to serve me instead of the Creator Yahweh? Well... I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all these people of all these different races, and I'm seeing how gullible they are, and I'm seeing all the lies that I can get them to believe, 
And as soon as they believe one or two lies that I created, I can get them to want to be rich by investing in the stock market or want to be healthy by taking poison, etc., <laughs> etc. Et okay, and they, so he proceeds to create a, an alternative universe, an alternative society, which he has done. And way too many people have bought into it. Why? Because they have left the real God behind, abandoned his laws, and abandoned his son, Yahshua Messiah, and have become apostates. And many of these never had the law or the truth, so they can't be apostate. They're just lost. <laughs> They're those confused people the author is talking about. So we can see by, by the the general outline of Gnosticism versus biblical Christianity that there are points of correspondence, minor courts of, uh, points of correspondence, but may are very major major differences. Continuing with point number four, he this uh, this create this evil archon which can be con- compared to Lucifer hides the truth from humans. Not only does he hide the truth, he makes up big, whopping lies. But sparks of Sophia in some humans fill them with an urge to return to the Pleroma, divine realm where they belong. And I I think every one of us has has got that urge, that urge, not the demi-urge, the real urge, to be in heaven and to dispense with this evil world and be done with it. Get it over with once and for all. Yeah. I can sympathize with that idea. So, there is a pleroma. But is it the case that Lucifer cannot enter into that pleroma and mess with our minds? Obviously, the very highest level where Yahweh controls everything, which is a purely spiritual level, Lucifer has been kicked out of that level. And he can't go back. It's all over for you. He can't go back. But we can. We can. Because we haven't totally rebelled. We've rebelled in our behavior. But even many Christians, you know, they, they love Jesus. They believe in Jesus. And be, uh, he created all these miracles. And he healed all these people. And he did all this good. I want to be like Jesus. But they really fall short in their daily lives really fall short. Why? Because they're not real Christians. They're, well, first of all, apostates. But they're those lukewarm Christians that we talked about this morning. The Church of Laodicea. How lukewarm can you get? <laughs> right? There's a competition among the Judeo-Christian denominations. No, I'm more lukewarm than you. No, you're more lukewarm Oh, I, I got the prize. I am really lukewarm. Milk toast. I have some milk toast and, and lukewarm coffee for breakfast. Okay, so this is where we're at. So all these Gnostic ideas that are t- t- attempting to intrude themselves into our religion, and it is exclusively 
our religion, the religion of God's chosen people, Israel, the covenant people. And once we understand covenant Christian Israel, the covenant message, once we understand that message, everything outside of it is just irrelevant. It's not our problem. It's not what we should be focusing on. Maybe you want to entertain yourself with some Gnostic ideas to see what these other critters believe and maybe where they came up with these ideas. But there are people out there who take this stuff seriously and actually believe that Christianity would be better off incorporating all of these outside ideas. I don't think so, folks. I don't think so. The Father has given us all we need to be healthy, happy, fruitful, productive, and to have dominion if we obey his laws. There's no, there's no, I don't think there's any promise of dominion to anybody in Gnosticism. There can't be because you have the demiurge. The dualism between evil and good, which will never be resolved. So if you want to live with that, if that's your belief, then I I guess you have to say, I'm okay with it. You know, it, it means there's always going to be conflict between good and evil. Nothing can be done about it. So do the best you can and pine away, right? That's, that's where Gnosticism is at. So, uh, I don't think we're going to have time to get into the implications of Gnosticism, which is the next heading here. Anyway, there's one sentence in part one here. These ideas had implications that could not be squared with either the Old Testament or apostolic writings, which is why early Christians rejected them. Yes, and uh, Paul goes to some extent in his writings, doesn't call it Gnosticism because it wasn't called by that name in those days. But uh, he talks about particular false teachers that are preaching these, you know, really weird doctrines, trying to get Christians to buy into them. All right, so that's that's where that stands. So, uh, with the little time I have left, I, I want to point out that Brother Abair has produced this year's feast day calendar, and the theme of this calendar is the women of Israel, which talks about. How the uh, the main women of Israel and the contributions they had made, both in terms of uh, being good wives, be, some of them being warriors, like Dinah chopping the head off of Caesarea, <laughs> right? <laughs> My kind of woman, yeah. And the, the the great things that our women have done in Scripture, the the fantastic example they have set, the courage with which they acted. Etc. 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 It is an absolutely beautiful piece of work visually, full color calendar, and if you want to copy that calendar, you can uh, donate twenty dollars or more to ANP Post Office Box four one thirteen seventy three Chicago Illinois six zero six four one, and I believe he also has it on his website, thinkoutsidethebeast.com. So you can go straight to Think Outside the Beast. And uh, by the way, uh, Brother Hebert puts his current writings, his current studies 
on his website and his past studies. And many of these uh, are works in progress, which become shows on Brother Hebert Presents, okay, which is coming right up after this this uh, storyline here, okay. So, uh, so you can stay tuned after this. Brother Hebert is coming on right after Voice of Christian Israel, and uh, again, he has produced a calendar for this year, the feast day calendar, and the theme is the women of Israel, and so. Some names might not be familiar to you, like Keturah, but Hagar and Sarah and Rebecca and, of course, Mary, etc. And other women are depicted in the calendar. And uh, it talks about how great, how many great women that Israel has had in our history, even some today. And there are a few great men among us, we try to be. We do our best, but we all know that we are still sinners, as Paul says, and that we, we can always do better. Okay, but you keep your eye on the prize, which is the kingdom. I don't know what kingdom the Gnostics preach. <laughs> it, it's not a very good place if the, the conflict between good and evil never ends. But we see the light at the end of the tunnel We, the Israel people, especially the remnant, are guaranteed eternal life as the bride of Christ. The 12,000 members of the 12, each of the 12 tribes, 144,000. These are the only people in Scripture that are guaranteed eternal life. Okay? Other people may get into the kingdom as mortals, but these are the only people to whom Eternal life is promised. That's in the book of Revelation, folks. So, uh, I think this was a good introduction to the subject of Gnosticism. Uh, It's a well-written article. Only covered a few paragraphs of what the author says. But again, stay tuned to Brother Hebert Presents. And I will see you next weekend for another round of live shows, starting with Yahweh's Covenant People. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all again. Bye-bye.